Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Donovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fried the Burnout Podcast. Today, I am talking to someone who I am thrilled to have because not only is she impressive, but she touches on subjects that are really important to me personally. Today, my guest is Mindy Kniss. She is a business coach and award-winning humanitarian. In 2008, she left a Fortune 100 career to become an entrepreneur, but ended up living out of her office, facing foreclosure, eviction, and bankruptcy. Today, she is the CEO of Lucra, a company dedicated to training coaches and speakers. Mindy was awarded the prestigious Global Health Fellowship in Nairobi, Kenya. She has spoken on stages around the globe and was named one of the topmost influential living teachers of the path of the heart. She holds degrees in theology, creative writing, and philosophy. Mindy, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. I'm already impressed and I cannot wait to hear your story. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. And I just want to say this is such an important topic. So thank you for doing this. Oh, I'm so glad. It's been the response to having guests has been just enormous. So it's definitely something that feels like we need to be talking about now and getting different takes makes it make sense to so many different people. So I feel really fortunate that people such as yourself are willing to share their time with me and with all of the listeners. So thank you. Thank you again. Absolutely. All right, Mindy, what happened? (laughs) What happened? So I'll take it from the point that you mentioned in my bio. I was working at a Fortune 100 company and everything was pretty great. I have to say, I couldn't complain about the job itself, the people, the hours, the pay. It was kind of, you know, the American dream, at least on paper. The problem for me was that it wasn't soul fulfilling. And I went into that job thinking, you know what, this will be great. I'll get a little experience. I'll pay off my student loans from undergrad, but then I'm out. You know, this isn't what I want to do for my life career path. So I figured maybe two, three years. Then what happened was seven years later, I'm still in that same career. And, you know, like I said, I I can't complain. I was being groomed for different leadership positions and getting constant promotions and raises and all all these really awesome, wonderful things. But I noticed as time went on and the years went by, I just began feeling just, I would say unwell to put a a big umbrella. And I'll go into some of the details on that. I'll start in the, the physical aspect. I had a constant, and I mean constant, ache in almost under my diaphragm, like the stomach, abdomen area. It just was this ache in like the pit of my core. And of course there was nothing wrong. If I went to the doctor, they were like, yeah, you're totally healthy. Everything's fine. Everything's good. But every day 
I would wake up and almost instantaneously would have this just, so I'm like, all right, what, what's going on with that? I don't know, but you know, I'm sure it's, we'll figure it out. And then there was, I would say even worse was the psychological aspect of recognizing what I wasn't doing, I guess is how I would put it. Because what I wasn't doing is focusing on the things that were really truly important to me and where I felt like I could really make a difference. And also even the, the talents that I felt that I had that were, you know, sort of being recognized by that company, which was cool. But I felt like I could really blow them out of the water if I wasn't under the glass ceiling, if you will, at that company. Because in that, and I'm sure a lot of corporations are very similar, there's only so high you can go within a certain level at a certain company or so much money that you could make. And to me, it wasn't even, that wasn't like the primary focus by any means, but it, it was one of the things that I looked at when saying, okay, is this really what I want to do? And my heart every time would be like, no, it's so obvious. Hello, Mindy, come on, <laughs> let's go. And so it became more and more and more obvious that it just wasn't a great fit for me. I had some, I would say minor struggles with management, just people trying to, what I felt like was micromanaging. And I'm like, look, like I'm an awesome performer here. I do this stuff really well. I don't need micromanagement on top of me. And that just felt very stifling. And it just went on and on and on like that because the problem that I had kind of gotten myself into was what my very, very first manager at that company had called the golden handcuffs. And yeah. I have to tell you, I have to be honest with you, I was sure that that would never happen to me. I'm like, no, I'm a pretty conscious person. I'm totally aware of, you know, my environment and what's going on. And so that's, I get that for other people, but that's not going to happen to me. And then it did because I had bought a house and I had a car and I had this lifestyle and all this great stuff that I'm like, well, how, like, what else would I do to make this kind of money? What else would I do to have this kind of lifestyle? So what really shifted the course for me was winning that fellowship that you also mentioned in the bio. And I moved to Nairobi, Kenya. Now, what's awesome about that experience in my case was I had the opportunity to look back at my normal day-to-day -day life from afar. And I would say that for your listeners, even if, you know, it's not like you have to move to Africa <laughs> to have that experience, you can do the same thing in a journal. Just taking a step back from your day-to-day regular routines, maybe the rut that you've gotten yourselves into, and just saying, is this really what I want? And if the, like for me, where my heart was screaming like, no, hello, it's not. Okay, well then what is? And what transpired in my case was a decision to leave corporate America and venture out as an entrepreneur, become a coach, and then it got even worse, as you also mentioned in the bio. I really, I thought, you know, I'm pretty smart. I can figure out a lot of things. I can figure out this business entrepreneurial venture. The problem was that I thought I was so smart that I was going to do it all by myself. And that doesn't work in business. I, I found that really, uh, really clearly like a two by four to the face. The universe is like, come on, Mindy, let's go. Like you need people to do this with you. So that pretty quickly ended in some really bad financial scenarios, as you mentioned. But um, that was a long time ago. That was almost 10 years ago now. And since then, a lot has shifted, a lot has changed. I would say mostly my mindset and just really starting to crank. And now it's a lot of fun. And I, I can't speak 
enough, and this is why I'm like, this is such an important topic, is about recognizing when you're in that burnout state, because I think there are only two choices that you need to figure out. Either you're not in the right career or position or job. So that's, for me, that was the case when I was at that company. I just wasn't in the right position. So yeah. that could be one thing that's happening. The second thing that could be happening, there might be some, especially you know, on, on this type of podcast, I think there's probably a lot of your listeners that are like, no, I feel like I am doing my dream job or my dream career or my following my bliss or my passion. Well, if you're still feeling burnout in that case, even though you feel like you're on the right track, I would say you have to just go crazy into self-care and taking time away from that business or from that passion. Yeah, I totally agree. And what you're talking about is something that is super important to me. I talk a lot with clients about the difference between external and internal burnout. Because in the world of life coaching, there is this sort of belief that I've found that I really disagree with that if you can just change your mind, everything will be fine. And I, I read a quote on a part of your website that I was like, this is definitely the girl that I need to talk to. You said, I couldn't make myself love my job and I couldn't make those men be the right match for me. If something is wrong in our external life, you cannot fix it through mindset. It must change, right? This is something that I feel like people are ignoring because they're saying, well, if you just change your mind, you'll be happy no matter where you are. You can be happy, but bloom where you're planted. Everything will be glorious. And that's not always the, the case. And that internal part of burnout is the internal self-talk, making sure that the self-care is correct, changing the mindset and doing those things. But both pieces have to be taken care of in order for us to avoid burnout. I absolutely, I'm like the case study of this. Because right. You could have just done it with mindset. I would have probably figured out how to do that from my little apartment in Portland and then from my little office that I was living out of in Portland. And I, like, I knew all the mindset stuff. Exactly. But that's only part of the equation. You know, and I don't want to throw that out the window. By no, it's very important. Yeah, super important. But it's only one piece of the larger picture. And looking at your actions looking at your activity, looking at what's going on. And, you know, you mentioned the relationships thing. We didn't even get into that aspect. That could, You can be burnt out in a relationship too. Exactly. So many different things. And it's looking at, okay, is this – one of the things that we talk about a lot in our company, and this I think would be helpful to your audience, is is this a character thing or is this a context thing? Now, we're usually using that in reference to relationships. I know my husband and I went through a period when we were dating – where there was just a lot of crap going on. There was a lot of family stresses and financial stresses and just, just crap. And we were in it and really came to the point of like, okay, we're either going to break up or we're going to rock this thing because it's just not fun right now. Yeah. And we had to ask ourselves, is this about character or is this about context? Because if it's about character, then you're just not with the right person. But if it's a context issue, like for me, it was financial. For him, it was his family drama stuff. And that was totally context-based. So we said, all right, we'll handle that context, but we know our characters are solid and we do want to be together, so let's figure it out. So obviously we did that. We ended up getting married. It's wonderful. And same thing, though, in any type of career situation, like is it 
the context. Maybe I was supposed to be the character of somebody in corporate America, but I was just in the wrong company or in the wrong position in that company. And if I could shift that, I might've felt better. Now to me, that was not the case. It was definitely a character thing. Like, nope, you're supposed to be an entrepreneur. You were a born leader. You want to call the shots and now go do that. So it was a character thing for me. So I couldn't have stayed in that company, even with different positions, different managers, different job responsibilities, whatever it may have been, that wouldn't have solved the problem. Right. And even with the mindset of quote unquote, I can't complain, quote unquote, I have it good. Oh yeah, (laughs) definitely. I mean, there's, you know, and I want to speak to this too. There's almost a little uh, guilt in that Mm -hmm. because a lot of people would say, and in that industry, this was one of the top companies. So if I would go to a conference, let's say, oh, cool. Where do you work? And I would mention the company name. They'd be like, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's pretty fancy. So there was like a lot of feeling like I should really love this. Right. I should really be grateful for this. And I think that you can be grateful and also say, no, thank you. I absolutely agree. I think that this, I can't complain scenario is something that gets so many people stuck. Other people have it worse. I have a good life. What else could I possibly want the golden handcuffs this we call my husband and i called prague we lived in prague for six years and we called prague the golden cage because life <laughs> is very good in prague yes I love it. cheap we could we made good money we could do whatever we wanted we had it i had 12 weeks of vacation a year what else could you possibly want and every time i said well oh we're gonna move back to the states i'd like to be closer to family all my friends were like you realize you have everything that everyone wants right mm. and i was like i don't think that that matters that's that's exactly right is it doesn't matter if it's not what your heart is guiding you toward anybody else can look at it from the outside perspective and be like but what? This is awesome. Or what are you complaining about? And I, you know, I want to speak to that word complain a little bit too, because I think that there is a distinction that needs to be made between complaining, because to my mind, complaining is like, you're just talking and you're not actually going to do anything about it. Yeah. It's wah, wah, whining. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And I, I don't, I don't put up with that very well. And no, I try to do it myself. So what instead is maybe an alternative way to think about it is having a depth conversation with yourself or maybe a partner or spouse or whomever, close friends, and really looking at, okay, what is, what is honest and authentic for me? Not what anyone else wants, not how it looks outside or externally, but what's true for me? And then how can I take action toward that path instead of the path that I was on or think I should be on? What's the path that's going to be my best way forward and then what's an action step something tangible that i can do to get that going right what's the next best small thing that i can do in the direction that my heart is calling totally exactly that next small step yeah so i want to talk about this heart calling and i want to address the woo woo and the science part of it immediately i want to get into that right away because i just did have a conversation yesterday with a very close friend of mine who is one of the smartest people I know. She's very into research and she's done, I mean, she's actually leads the website on acupuncture research for the world. This is how in, this is how she in depth she is into research. And 
she said to me yesterday that she has been working through uh, all this stuff for months and months and months. It's been actually almost three years that she's been working through stuff. And she finally found a way to unblock her heart and that changed everything. And so I want to talk to you about what unblocking the heart means. But before we go into that, I want to tell the listeners that she actually had, she was measuring her heart rate variability, and she actually had a graph that showed her at which moment she actually did this and the improvements that it made on her health. So we're talking about a concept that sounds very spiritual, a little bit woo-woo, a little bit out there, but at the same time has very real scientific background. And you, Mindy, my dear, wrote a PhD on this topic. I did. I did. It was fascinating to me then. It still is fascinating to me today. So thank you for asking that question. And I love that you're, how you're framing it also, because when I teach this stuff, I don't come from the woo-woo camp very much. Now, my undergrad was in spirituality and religious studies, so I have that background. Like, I understand the different uh, religions of the world and all those things. So I can pull from those things and today's modern spiritual movement, but still look at the science behind it, because to me, it all has to come, it all has to work together. If yeah. one of those pieces is this outlier and like doesn't make sense with the others, I'm like, mm, I'm not buying it. So I look at how things intersect. And so again, thank you for asking that. And let's talk a little bit about what HRV is first off. For yeah, listening. good idea. Let's talk about what coherence is because that's what your friend was referring to when she was watching that heart monitor and tracking how she was doing. So first off, HRV or heart rate variability, as you mentioned, what it is, you know, a lot of people are familiar with their pulse or taking their heart rate, but what HRV is, is the time in between the heartbeats and the variation thereof. So what we're looking at is that time between the beats. And when you can get that to the level, which scientifically is 0.1 Hertz, that would be what is called coherence. You would be in a coherent state. And just like coherence, let's say in a sentence, most people know what that means. You know, if you and I are speaking right now and you can understand what I'm saying, that is coherent. If I start mumbling and garbling over here and you're like, Mindy, what, like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? What's happening? That would be incoherent. I'd be speaking incoherently. Well, in the physical body with our physiology, it essentially translates the same way. Coherence is when messages can get from one part of the body to another part of the body. And as long as those messages are getting through at a, an efficient rate, your body is in coherence. And when you're in coherence, all kinds of really awesome, great things happen. You can decrease your blood pressure, you can send feel-good chemicals, neurotransmitters throughout the body. Your overall vitality and well-being just goes up. Your immunity is boosted. There's so many wonderful things that happen. So again, this isn't just like woo-woo yaya. It's actual measurable, scientifically-based things that can be documented in lots of peer-reviewed research around the world. So that is what coherence is. Here's the really, really awesome part. 
to me. And again, this goes back to looking at that intersection between the science and say the, the spirit of it is scientists these days have done tests on intuition and how we receive intuitive thoughts, how we receive inner knowing. And I want to clarify this too, because a lot of people hear intuition and automatically their mind goes to that woo-woo space. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that intuitive sense that every single person has and probably has experienced if they were paying attention to it. It can be something like you walk into a room and you just have that feeling that your name was just in the conversation of people that were in that room. Or you just have this sense that somebody was going to call you and then they do or that something's wrong and then you find out what it was. It, I mean, almost everybody has had something like that to some extent. So oftentimes when people think about intuition, they think, oh, well, it comes through into our brain, which is then where that thought is generated. And then, hmm, okay, now I have this knowing. And then sometimes we can correspond that to our regular awareness in life. And sometimes we can't, but we get that feeling sometimes. Here's what the research has found though, and this, like I said, is just fascinating to me. They found, and I'll tell you how they did the experiment as well. What they would do is they would flash various images on a computer screen that the experimentee was looking at. Now this experimentee was hooked up to all the different, you know, pulse readers and HRV documentation, all of the different things were, were hooked up to them. And they are watching this randomized image after image after image. Now about three quarters of those images were not meant to have any emotional invocation at all. It was just like a picture of a farm or a picture of a cup on a table or a chair, you know, something super basic. But then the other, the, the remaining quarter of those images were designed specifically to elicit an emotional response. That could be seeing a picture of uh, a bloody corpse on a road or a snake that is just ready, you know, in striking mode, ready to strike, something like that. Well, what they found is nobody knew which image would come up next because, like I said, it was computer generated and certainly randomized. But their body would react four seconds prior to that emotional-based image showing up on the screen before they even knew it. So they were like, okay, well, this is interesting. Their body is reacting before the image even shows up. And what they were able to do, the best part of this whole story for me, is that they were able to trace that, where that showed up within the body, and just take a guess where it shows up. Right in your gut. <laughs> well, in the heart, actually. Yeah. Okay. In the heart. So here's what happens. This is really interesting. It shows up first in the heart. So is there is this awareness or this sense or this knowing, whatever word you want to use for that, in the heart first. Then it goes down to the gut. It sends a signal to the gut that's like, whoa, you know, something's about to happen. And that's why people get that kind of feeling first. You know, like if some people get physical sensations, it's usually in the gut first because that's the first message point from the heart. From there, it then goes up to the brain to get translated into some kind of rational thought. And it's like, huh, something's going to happen. Now, we don't always pay attention when this does happen, or we don't always recognize 
the piece of the puzzle that was the thing that we were feeling about in advance, but it can happen. And that, like I said, to me, is so fascinating because if we know that that's how to do it, is it starts in the heart. And just like your friend said, being able to unblock the heart, or to me, the way that I talk about it a lot is just getting out of the head and into the heart. Like that's the simplistic answer is just get out of your head where all that monkey chatter is, all that, that crap that we deal with, and just get into your heart. Well, if we learn how to do that on command, think about how much easier we will be able to access our intuition. And that matters a ton in real life. You know, it's not, everybody's not going to be sitting down attached to some electrodes and doing this experiment, but all kinds of people are having communication and conversation with their spouses, with their employees, with whomever, or going into big meetings or signing deals or, you know, all the things that we do in life. If you can access your intuition more cleanly and more easily, that to me opens up a complete new reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely fascinating and reminds me of, I just read a book by a fellow acupuncturist whose name is Jill Blakeway and she wrote a book called Energy Medicine. And she's another person who I love for intersecting the world of energy and science together. That's my favorite thing. I was a pre-med student who's um, minor. So my major was biology on a pre-med path and my minor was Eastern religion. So it very similar. Yeah. So very similar scenarios there. Um, So I I really like this balance between the spiritual world, the woo-woo world and the science that backs it up. In Jill's book, she talked about the fact that when a healer enters healing mode and she's had this studied on herself their brain and their heart enter resonance. So the frequencies that are being emitted from their brain and from their heart are in coherence. They recognize each other. They are matching. And interestingly enough, the same thing happens in the brain and the heart of the person they are treating. Love it. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, I can actually tell you why that happens. Tell us, tell us, tell us. (laughs) I love that there's an example of that. I'm like, yes, that is accurate. So here's what happens. And this is the amazing thing about how coherence works is when we are in coherence ourselves. Well, let me take a step back for a second and talk about the brain versus the heart a little bit. And a lot of people might know this, even if they've just seen it on television or maybe they've had a personal experience in a hospital or something like that. But when they do an EEG, which is looking at the the brain waves, they have to place electrodes directly onto the body. So they have to go right onto the skin to be able to pick up those, that or that information. What they can do with the heart though, and this is pretty wild, is they don't even have to touch the skin. The heart resonance can be measured, and I'm gonna put a little caveat in here. What they've documented, and I've seen pretty solid research for, is about eight to 10 feet away from the body. So they get that heart information that far. My theory is that we just don't yet have the technology that is to measure properly. Yeah. Like precise enough. I agree. Further than that. But I think that it just continues on. So that being said, you know, at least eight to 10 feet outside of the body, the heart is emitting this electromagnetic field that can be measured scientifically. So when you think about it in that case, 
you know, I may be in a room with somebody and my coherence level will be able to impact them, especially yeah. if they're within that eight to 10 feet. Right. So when you say that, you know, their brain and their heart are resonant with the, the healer and patient relationship, that's absolutely 100% true. And I, one of the things that I love, <laughs> I do a retreat on this every autumn, and I had one woman come and she went through the process and learned how to do this for herself. And her question, it just delighted me so much. She said, you know, I'd really love to share this with my husband, but I don't think he'd be that into it. I think he would just dismiss it automatically as woo-woo and not even want to talk about it. She said, is there a way that I can do this without him knowing? <laughs> and I said, yeah, actually there is, because they, I'll tell you about another experiment that they have done. They have taken a group of four people that sit around a table, and three of those people know how to drop into coherence really quickly. They've practiced this. They know what that feels like. They know how to do it in a, in a pretty short order. Well, three of the people are also aware that there's an experiment going on and they are waiting for some kind of a, a sign or sound to happen that is their marker to say, okay, go, like drop into coherence right now. Now the fourth person doesn't have any idea about any of this, doesn't know what's going on at all, but they're all hooked up to the electrodes. Well, when those three people get that signal and they drop into coherence, guess what happens to the fourth person? They drop into coherence too without even knowing what's going on or practicing or doing anything right. other than just sitting within that space. Which matches the Dalai Lama's plan to get school children of all ages to be meditating around the world all the yeah. time. Yes. Because that resonance will spread throughout communities and create major change. Absolutely. It absolutely will. And, you know, I've seen this too. It, it might be interesting for your audience to hear a story about how you can do this just really simply. We had a, a coaching client fly in to work with us once, and this guy was super, I would say, I'm going to put this nicely. He was very nervous and a very anxious type person. And almost so much that like you could see it on him physically. He walked into the room and he sat down on the couch and his whole body, just the way that his body looked, it was like tense and tight and he was very nervous about being there. And I thought, okay, I'm not even going to say anything to this guy about the heart stuff or anything like that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to freak him out just yet. That'll come later. <laughs> so I thought I'm just going to go into coherence myself and then I'm going to, you know, practice this. I'm going to try and see what happens. So I just focused on my breath. I just dropped in, got out of that crazy chatter in my head. And then I was just really focused like on sending that energy toward him, even though it, would, it wouldn't have mattered. Like we were in that same space. It would have been fine. But I was just really like, okay, buddy, like calm down. It's all good. We got you. You know, you're in a safe space now. And just thinking those kind of thoughts. And it was like magic that I could watch just second by second the stress just seep off of him. He wasn't gripping the top of the couch where he had rested his arm anymore. His shoulders, you know, kind of settled down on his chest, not like hunched up by his ears. And I noticed his breath too. It just became more regular and regulated. And then we were able to have a really powerful, amazing coaching conversation 
But I don't think that that would have happened if he had stayed in that anxious, you know, kind of chaotic space. Right. Yeah, this is something that I experienced over the years in my acupuncture practice because I was doing this without having an awareness of the fact that that's what was happening. Yeah. For a long, long time. So I was taught the different words and I was taught that my job is to be present and to meet my patient where they are. So I was supposed to create space for a patient to come in be whoever they were and allow kind of just allow for that. And it's a very similar process. And I was told from some of the best teachers that I ever had, if you have the ability to do this, the acupuncture treatment is secondary because that person is healing as soon as they come into your room. I totally believe that. I think that that is such a great way to say that. It, it is secondary. That's awesome. And so use your tools because people need to go through the process in order to understand that something is happening and that something could happen. But your primary job is to be present and to meet people where they are. And I feel like this is a huge thing that's missing. I was very lucky to have these teachers. I was lucky to get these lessons very early. I finished acupuncture school at 24. So I was one of the youngest people in my school. And I, I was just, I got lucky. I just met the right people at the right times. And I feel like there's so many people in the world of coaching and healing that never got this lesson and get frustrated because they can't make progress with people. And that's one of the reasons that they burn out. Oh, that's so, so accurate. I would say that they can get into that burnout state and just that frustration of not being able to elicit elast like lasting change, true transformation. They can get some results, but not when it's like just this powerful depth of transformation that is just so amazing and yeah if they don't get that like it's one of my missions is to spread this message is to say mindset is not enough you have to look at the heart set and see what's going on there you have to understand why coherence is great for you as the healer coach teacher person and for the client it's it's just so so powerful that's amazing work i love that so much and now I would like you to talk to us about the, the barricades. And well, you know, you wrote, you know, I, I, I said before, you know, you couldn't make yourself love your job. You couldn't make those men be the right match for you. And you said, I also couldn't know that my life would completely change for the better once I unlocked the barricades around my heart. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> I love that question. So let me take you back when I was growing up and in school, I was always kind of the smart one. You know, I would have the, I would say something and people would be like, Oh my God, like that's an amazing answer. Like, wow. And I read all the books and I was always a little bit advanced from my grade level and all that stuff. So all that to say is I highly, highly, highly relied on my intellect to be able to do things, to be able to figure things out, to, you know, make my way in life. And that only gets you so far. That's the problem with that. It's not like that's a bad thing, but it's not the whole thing. 
So that got me great job. That got me some interesting relationships, you know, lots of different things. But when you're running your life only from your head, you're missing out on so much of the, the true joy in life, the true love in life, the true peace in life. And here's why. Because when you look at things like insecurity or frustration or anger or let's throw in any other negative thing that we can, all of that stuff is in the head, all of it. But when you look at things like love and peace and joy, that resides in the heart. So we're talking about like separate countries here almost. <laughs> and it's, it's really nice to visit other countries, but if you wanna live in one of them, I would choose love, joy, peace over insecurity, frustration, anger, guilt, all that other stuff. So there are benefits, you know, I don't ever want to have someone say, oh, well, Mindy, you're all about just the heart. I'm like, no way, I'm all about the brain too. But if I'm going to reside in one of those two countries, I'm going to pick the heart. It just is a much more, uh, there's just a lot more ease as you go through life when you're residing in the heart. And for me, what I was basically, you know, it's funny too, because when I talk about this, it could almost be the same story of when I was leaving that company in some of my relationships. On paper, they looked awesome. Like everybody would be like, oh my gosh, like that's such, such a great guy. And you guys have such an amazing relationship and all of this. And I'm like, uh, yeah, like, it, yes, you're right. And it just, it just didn't satisfy my my deepest desires passions longings you know all of that and recognizing that i couldn't just keep running everything from my head and i had to figure out you know the reason i wrote that dissertation is because i needed it <laughs> i needed to figure out how to do this for myself first and now as just a, an amazing byproduct. I can help other people do that. That's awesome. But it was absolutely for me primarily. And, you know, sometimes I'll be on podcast interviews and they're like, oh, you know, when you can live from the heart so easily like you do, I'm like, whoa, that's not the case at I all. I didn't say it was easy. <laughs> right. Like there's nothing easy about this. It for me is still to this day a, a practice and something that I have to be conscious about maybe not as much so as in the beginning, but, but definitely it's, it's still there. So, because it's, it's my nature to just go back to my head, go back to my intellect, go back to, well, how can I figure this out? It's like, slow down. So being able to recognize that that's not the most beneficial because looking at my own story and saying, okay, I was in this job that I didn't really love. I was in relationships that were like cool, but I didn't really love if I want to get into the love aspect, I have to go to where love resides. I have to go into the heart and figure out what is authentic and true for me. And then just say, thanks, but no thanks to anything else, any obstacle that comes up or any other opportunity that isn't on that path exactly. And that has been a journey in and of itself of just learning really powerful boundaries and ways in which to go through the world just like trusting myself and trusting my own instincts and just moving forward in that capacity even if everybody else is like what are you doing this is crazy uh, which has happened many times but uh you know that's really what it comes down to and to make it 
uber, uber simple is it starts with a choice. The choice was I could keep going how I was or I could shift it and say, I am ready and willing to do it differently. And I didn't even know what that meant back then, quite honestly, but I knew that something needed to shift, something needed to give because I didn't want to keep ending up in the same situation of like, oh, that's so great, yay, Mindy. And when inside I was feeling like, this is not really what I want. Yeah, yeah. Mindy, I have a question. If we could, if you agree, to drop into coherence now, if you have not already, and I will do the same. And in, from that space that we create, offer one piece of advice to the listeners as a wrap up for everything that we just talked about. Would you be willing to do that with me? Absolutely, I would love it. And okay. actually what I would, would love even more if you're open to it is to take a couple minutes to like talk the listener through that. How yes, they yes, them. let's do that. Okay, Go perfect. right ahead. Perfect. So first and foremost, and if you're driving, listening to this or doing something, obviously this is not the time, but if you can, Just shut your eyes really gently and take a deep breath. Feel the way that it feels entering your body and exiting your body. And with your eyes closed, notice that little spot right behind your eyeballs. And some people, when they pay attention to that spot, they just see blackness, kind of a void but sometimes people see a color or a light or a shape and it it doesn't matter what you see or if you see anything at all, but just focus that attention, that awareness right behind your eyeballs. And from that space, if it's a color or a shape, I want you to think about sending it down almost as if it's an elevator. Take that awareness from right behind your eyes and send it down, down, down into your heart area. And for some people, it helps to actually place their hand on their heart because that just helps center that energy a little bit. And see if you can feel it, that different point of awareness in your chest as opposed to in your head. And oftentimes what can happen is we end up thinking about our heart from the perspective of our head. And that's not specifically what I'm talking about in this case. I want you to actually see if you can shift the point of awareness, like where your awareness resides, and see if you can feel it in your heart, see if you can feel it in your chest. And if it jumps back up because you have some thought that jumps in, that's that's no problem. It's all okay. It's all good but just send it back down, send it on the elevator, back down into your chest. And from that perspective, recognize what would my senses be like if this was my point of awareness? If I actually sensed from the perspective of my heart, what would the world feel like? What would the world be like? What would it taste like, smell like? What would I see? 
not with my eyes, but with my heart? What would I feel? Not with my brain or with my skin, but with my heart. How does that feel? Because again, the only things that reside in there are really good things. Love, joy, peace. That's where that is. So from that perspective, I want you to just feel into or be aware of whatever you notice. There's no right or wrong. And what I would say from that perspective is a quote, to thine own self be true. It's essential that you get to know who you are and not just who you are, but how you are, the way in which you think, the way in which you see, the way in which you interact. Get to know you and then to your own self be true because that is the recipe for an adventurous, amazing, extraordinary life. It might not look how anyone else has in mind for you or anyone else is doing it. If you can be true to you, that, that is the magic right there. Well, that was magic in and of itself. How do you feel? Like magic. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> Mindy, that was an amazing, extraordinary podcast experience for even me. I mean, you said that you wrote your dissertation for yourself. Um, I started writing the burnout book also for myself. And this is an extension of that because I got stuck writing the burnout book because I needed people. Like you said in the beginning, we don't do things on our own. We do things with other people. And I am so grateful to have shared this time and space and energy with you today because now you are one of the people that is part of my path and that couldn't make me happier. Oh, I love that. And again, thank you for not just the opportunity. You know, it's awesome anytime someone invites you to speak on, on their stage, as you will. But even more importantly is this message, because like you said, it is so prevalent and people need resources. People need places to turn to and experts to guide them, people that have been through it and succeeded. And I just, I'm super grateful that you are creating this space for people that really, really need your help. Oh, thank you so much. All right, everybody. That was the wonderful conversation that I had with Mindy Kniss. And I will leave all of her information in the show notes so that you can find out everything about what she does, especially HeartPath workshops and some of the coaching that she offers and also Lucra. Um, which is her company dedicated to training coaches and speakers. It'll be my thrill, absolute thrill to share that information with you. If you found something within this talk that was important to you, that resonated with you, that you feel is important for someone else, please do give it a share, send it to everyone that you love and make sure that they can unlock the barricades around their hearts as well. Because the more of us that are practicing this work, that are doing this work, the easier it becomes for everyone. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next time.